15 came to bring it this morning. I love it. I love this energy. Um, if you got your Bible, you got a smart device, turn with me or swipe with me. Um, we're going to go to almost the end of the New Testament. The Bible's divided up into two kind of big sections, Old Testament and New Testament. We're going to go almost all the way to the end of the New Testament and land in 1 John um, chapter 5 is where we're going to take a look at in just a minute. So if you get to like Revelation, just back up a few books and you will be right there uh, in 1 John and we'll jump into chapter 5 in just a moment. So it is uh, Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow's a special day of celebration uh, where we remember those that gave their life so that we could um, that we could have our freedom and um, uh, in, in doing all of this remembering over the weekend, um, I've remembered some times in the past um, where I could sleep late on Saturday mornings and um, I remember when I used to have money and I remember when I used to have more hair um, and I remember life before kids. <laughs> when all of those things were a possibility. And, uh, but now I've got two kids, and uh, uh, many of you, you know my kids. Luke is, is 13, Avery is 10, and the reason we had them is because I needed some good sermon material. And so we knew that if we just had some kids, then there would never be a lack of that. Uh, no, uh, we've, we've got, uh, my kids are the best kids that a dad could ever ask for. I love my kids. They both do well in school. They both excel in their extracurricular activities. Um, they, both, they both serve here at the church in various capacities. As a matter of fact, my son Luke um, is back in the sound booth right now. He's, he's running lights uh, for us this morning. And my daughter, Avery, earlier, she was out um, at the front entrance shaking pom-poms and greeting people as they drove onto the campus. And now she's back in Kids Walk leading worship and, and doing some stuff back there. So they're, they're very involved. In, and both of my kids, man, they love Jesus. That is like the best quality about them. They love them some Jesus. And they want to live lives that, that please and, and honor him. And I am so proud of each, each one of both, of both of my kids. Um, but despite how great both of them are, uh, from time to time, my, my wife and I, Sarah, uh, we have to redirect them a little bit, if, if, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and, and, and regardless of what the issue is, whether it's cleaning their room or doing their homework, being respectful towards um, us as their parents or, or being respectful to each other, more, more often than not, um, their response, whenever we, we redirect them in one of those areas is they'll say, well, I know. I know, right? Like, if you got kids, you've experienced this. You know, hey, we, we are running late. You should have made your lunch last night, like before school. Like, we've got to get out the door. And they say, I, I know. Or we'll say, you aren't supposed to play video games until after your homework is done. And they say, I know. Or, or you're not supposed to call her that name. And I know. You're not supposed to retaliate against them and, and, and hit them back or kick them back or punch them back or pinch, you know, whatever. Oh, I know, I know. You're, you're not allowed to talk back to me like that. I'm your father, I'm your mother. Like, you are not allowed to talk like that to us. I know. And, and if, if Sarah or I, if we've asked this question once, 
over the course of being parents, we've asked it probably a million times. Well, if you know what you're supposed to do, then why don't you do it, right? And all the parents are shaking their heads and all the kids are like, you know, that sounds strangely familiar. (laughs) And one day, kids, when you grow up and become parents, you will begin to say the same thing. And and the, the answer to this question that we ask our kids all the time, if you know what to do, but then, then why don't you do it? The answer is simple. It's immaturity is what it is. It's immaturity. And immaturity happens when what we know has zero effect on what we do. That's immaturity. And, and, and moms and dads, I'm not going to let you off the hook this morning. This is not just about the kids because we have all experienced this kind of thing in our lives as well. Even some of us that have followed Jesus Christ for decades, we have experienced this kind of stuff. Like we know that we shouldn't tell that joke, but it's just too funny not to share, Right? We know that we shouldn't gossip about that other couple at the church, but if we don't, then how are those people going to know how to pray for them, right? You know, you got, that's a joke. You got, you can laugh a little bit with me this morning. You know, we shroud our prayer or our gossip in, in, in prayer requests, right? Or, or, um, we know we shouldn't flip a bird to that car that just cut us off in traffic, but if we don't, how will that driver ever know that we are upset with them? Really, like we're, we're doing them a service is what we're doing, right? We know that we shouldn't cheat on that test, but mom and dad are going to kill us if we don't pass this class, right? We know we shouldn't go to that website, but what our wives know, don't know won't hurt them, right? And so like the things that we know don't have any effect on our behavior. It's, it's immaturity. What we know in our head hasn't penetrated our heart. And for those of us that claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, we've got to understand one very basic principle. And it's, it's the big idea of today's message. It's, it's what kind of all the rest of this hinges on as we're going to take a look in 1 John chapter 5 in just a moment. And, and it's, it's this idea is that our relationship with Jesus isn't based on information. It's based on transformation. Our relationship with Jesus isn't based on information. It's based on transformation. See, it, it isn't just enough to believe in Jesus if that belief doesn't result in a change in our behavior. After all, if, if what we believe doesn't change the way we behave, then do we really believe it? Right? If what we believe doesn't make our life look any different, then do, are we really convicted by those beliefs that we claim to have? And so today we're in uh, part five, the last and final part of a series that we are calling Prove It, where we're taking a look at the book of 1 John from the New Testament. And this book is actually a letter that John wrote to the believers at the church in Ephesus to debunk a couple of false doctrinal teachings that had arisen, causing some among the ranks of the believers to adopt a casual attitude toward the sin in their lives. And in chapter one of the letter, 
um, all the way back at the first part of this series, we looked at how John addressed those claiming to walk with God. And we learned that what we say has to match up with what we show. And then in part two, we looked at chapter two of first John and, and where, where John addresses those that uh, claim to know God. And we learned that it's not enough to just recognize Jesus, that just because we may be able to recognize him doesn't mean that we have a relationship with him. In part three, in chapter three, we looked at um, how John addressed the way some of the believers were showing love to their brothers and sisters in the faith. And, and we discovered that if we are unable to love the found, then we will never be able to love the lost. Last week in part four, we looked at 1 John chapter four, and we discussed how believers should handle the teachers of false doctrine. And we learned that our ability to correctly discern spiritual truths rises and falls on what we believe about Jesus. And as we close out this series today, the, the big picture of 1 John and, and what, he's, what he's ultimately communicating, not just to the believers in Ephesus, but to you and me today, is that it's simply not enough to just say that we follow Jesus Christ. We also have to prove it. We have to prove it. And so we're going to close out the series today by looking at 1 John chapter 5, starting with verse 13, starting with verse 13. So let's read together. I write this letter to you who believe in the Son of God so that you will know you have eternal life. And this is the boldness we have in God's presence, that if we ask God for anything that agrees with what he wants, he hears us. If we know he hears us every time we ask him, we know we have what we ask from him. Verse 16 if anyone sees a brother or sister sinning, sin that does not lead to eternal death, that person should pray and God will give the sinner life. I'm talking about people whose sin does not lead to eternal death. There is sin that leads to death. And, and just as a sidebar right here, the sin that leads to death is when we choose to ignore the fact that Jesus Christ is the son of God and we choose to not surrender our lives to him. That is the ultimate sin that leads to death. Verse 17, doing wrong is always sin, but there is sin that does not lead to eternal death. Verse 18, we know that those who are God's children do not continue to sin. The son of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we belong to God, but the evil one controls the whole world. We also know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we can know the true one. And our lives are in the true one and in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and the eternal life. So dear children, keep yourselves away from false gods. Now, as we bring this series to a close and we take a look at this passage from 1 John chapter 5, I believe that there are five things, five particular things that this passage highlights that as believers in Jesus, that, that we should know and that, that we should, um, in essence, be confident in. Because our confidence is what builds our maturity. The things that we are able to be confident in will help to build our maturity. So please know, like... 
I'm specifically speaking to believers in Jesus this morning. And I realize that there may be some of you here today or some of you watching with us online that you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know, if that's you, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're watching with us online. Christ Walk Church is a place that you don't have to believe to belong. And we're just glad that you're here. But Please know that that I believe and this church believes that life in Jesus Christ, surrender to Jesus Christ is the best way for us to live. And so I would encourage you that even if you don't believe in Jesus, open your mind, open your heart to what he may be speaking to you through his word today and see if there may be some of these principles that you might want to apply to your life as well. So there's, there's five things from this passage that believers know. And I'm gonna try to hit these rapid fire. I don't have a lot of time and it's a lot of content. So I'm gonna try to get through it as as quickly as I can. So if you're taking notes, get ready, get ready. Um, So these are the five things. So I'm gonna talk about them and then we're gonna break them down um, in just a minute. So the five things that believers know or, or need to be confident in. Number one, believers need to be confident or know that we have eternal life. Number two, believers need to know or be confident in the fact that God hears us and blesses us when we pray according to his will. Number three, believers need to know and be confident in the fact that that God's children do not continue to live their lives in sin. Number four, believers need to know and be confident in the fact that we are under God's authority not the devil's authority. And then the fifth and final thing that we need to know as believers and be confident in is this. Through Jesus, we can know the one true God. Through Jesus, we can know the one true God. But it isn't enough for us to just know these things unless it brings about a change in the way that we choose to live our lives. And remember, like we just talked about, as uh, the, the sign of maturity in a believer is that what we claim to know or what we claim to believe or who we claim to be as a believer in Jesus Christ should also impact the way that we act or the way that, beha- the, the way that we behave. So then the, the, the question is, is that how should this knowledge that John is giving us today, how should this knowledge change our behavior. So let's take a look at each of these five things and see if we can't figure that out together. The first one, believers should know and be confident in the fact that we have eternal life. In verse 13, John writes, I write this letter to you who believe in the son of God. So you will know, he talks about this, there's, there's this phrase over and over so that you will know, or that, that we can know. I write this letter to you who believe in the son of God so that you will know you have eternal life. John 3, 16, Jesus said, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him may not be lost, but have eternal life. The way this impacts us, the way this should change our behavior is is this, that, that we need to understand that the situations and circumstances of this world are only temporary. For those of us that have placed our trust in Jesus, this place, this world, it is not our home. We're just temporary residents. We're just on vacation here. We're just passing through. Like there's going to come a time when this will cease to exist and we're going somewhere else. 
and, 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 and God has given us this opportunity to be here on this earth. And the outlook that we need to have is, is that I'm going to enjoy it while I can. While I'm here, I'm going to do my best to enjoy it and to experience all that life has to offer and to fulfill my God-given purpose in this earth and in, in my time in this world. But I'm not going to dwell on the past and I'm not going to get hung up in the, in, in the present. Instead, I'm going to lean into the words that David wrote in Psalm 121, where he said, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. For the person that's placed their trust in Christ and, and knows that they have eternal life, we can, we can embrace the challenge of Paul in Philippians 3 and press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. For those of us that have put our trust in Jesus, we also trust in his words from John 14 that says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that where I am, there you may also be. You know the way to the place that I am going. See, for those of us that have placed our trust in Jesus, we can be confident that this life that you and I know, it's only temporary. And that true life begins whenever this life ends. For those of us that have placed our trust in Jesus, our confidence is in the fact that when our time on earth is done, that we are going to heaven to be with our Father forever and ever and ever. And that he has gone, Jesus has gone there to prepare that place for us. And that he's going to come back to this earth and take those of us who believe in him with him for eternity. Amen? Amen. That's the confidence that we have, that we have eternal life. And so we don't worry about the things of this world. We don't worry about, we don't get hung up in the, the adversity. We don't, we don't get hung up in the stress and the, and the strife and everything because we know that what's here, it's, it's, it's fleeting and it's, it's in vain and it's temporary and it's fading away. But we're going to a place that is eternal. So we put our hope and our trust there. We can be confident, number one, that we have eternal life. Number two, for those of us that believe on Jesus, we can know, we can be confident in the fact that God hears us and blesses us when we pray according to his will. Now, John uh, writes in verse 14 of our passage today, he says, and this is the boldness that we have in God's presence that if we ask for anything that agrees with what he wants, he hears us. If we know he hears us every time we ask him, we know we have what we ask from him. Now, don't read this um, into, into thinking that, that I'm saying like, we're gonna go to the car dealership after church and we're gonna say, Lord, I know you want me to have that Lamborghini. Like, I don't, is there a Lamborghini dealership here in Yulee or Fernandez? I don't think so. But you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, like, we gotta be sure that it aligns with God's will for our lives. And that the closer we get to God and the more we read his word, the more we discover the things that he wants for us. And so if we pray in accordance with and in agreement with those things that he wants for us and, and for our lives, then we can know, we can have confidence in the fact that we have those things. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to worry like, God, are you gonna come through? God, are you gonna meet my needs? Like, 
We're not having to, to figure it out. We just know that if we're praying and believing in accordance with the things that God has for us, that, that we have those things. And so that's what John is, is calling us. That's the kind of prayer that he's calling us to. No more of this, now I'll lay me down to sleep kind of praying. No, I'm talking about prayers filled full of bold faith, like, like big time prayers. And the confidence that God's gonna meet us at the point of our need. The kind of prayers that, that we draw circles around our marriages and we believe for God's best in our relationship with our spouse, that, that we draw circles around our children and we, we believe God to, to keep his, his protection and his provision over them and to keep them safe from the enemy, that they can live godly lives in the face of, of the darkness of this world that they're thrust into every day when they go to school. We draw circles around our, our finances and we believe that, that even though there's way more month than there is money, that God's still going to make a way. That we, we come together and we draw circles around the health of our friends and our family and our loved ones and, and we believe God for healing and for wholeness. We, we draw circles around our job and we believe for, for greater opportunities so that we can make a greater impact in the world around us and so that he can bless us more so that we can bless others more. We draw, we draw circles around the lost in our community and we believe God to draw them unto him so that they can be saved and that they can experience life eternal like you and I who believe in Jesus know about. We come in and we draw circles around our homes and, and we believe for, for God to rule and reign there and, 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 and for, for us to be shining beacons of light into the community around us. We draw circles in our neighborhoods and we believe for, for unification and, 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 and for, for, for neighborhoods to be brought together to, to celebrate what God is doing in their life and that, that our homes in the midst of those neighborhoods could point those people to Jesus. We, we come together and we draw a circle around our city and we claim it for Jesus Christ. This is territory for the kingdom of God. We, we draw a circle around our church and we believe that the people there are going to fulfill their God-given destiny and that Christ walked church, that we draw a circle and we pray for our church. We pray for its leaders. We pray, yes, for your pastor. And we believe that God is going to use us to change the face of our community forever. Those are the kinds of prayers that we need to grab hold of the horns of the altar and we need to believe God for him to come in and do a mighty work to bring revival to this place in and through his people to change the face of this city as we know it. We've got to begin to pray big, bold prayers and then expect God to move. And as you and I pray prayers of faith that are in alignment with God's will, then our behavior changes because we start to walk in the fact that we know we have those things. Because that's the word of the Lord. That's how we are to operate. Number three. Number three. I got to get a drink of water. For those of us that have put our trust in Jesus, we know and we can be confident in the fact that God's children do not continue in sin. Verse 18, John writes, we know that those who are God's children do not continue in sin. The son of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot touch them. See, here's the deal. Jesus did not come to this earth to die on the cross so that you could continue living in sin. He saved you 
so that you could be set apart and to live a lifestyle of holiness unto him. Romans 6 verses one and two, Paul writes, he says, so do you think we should continue sinning so that God will give us even more grace? No, we died to our old sinful selves. So how can we continue living with sin? And these false doctrines had arisen in in the church in Ephesus. And so uh, uh, John is is writing to address these things because the people there, the believers, they become casual in their sin. And when, when I look around the landscape of the world in which we live, I see believers who have become casual in their attitude towards sin. And what John is saying is that you and I, as as believers, that we need to learn to use that word no a lot more often. No, I'm not going to visit that website. No, I'm not going to perpetuate that rumor. No, I'm not going to use that kind of language. No, I'm not going to sleep with him. No, I'm not going to go to those places. No, I'm not going to do those things. No, no, no. That is our attitude to sin. Once we become believers in Jesus, it doesn't, God's grace does not give us license to continue to sin. God's grace frees us from sin so that we can live lives of holiness. And it gives us the power to say no to that sin. And then if we are to stumble, if we are to fall, it brings us back. But it doesn't give us the ability to just continue to live the way that we want to live. So we know that as believers in Jesus, we no longer continue living in our sin. There should be a a change that takes place. James 4, James says, so give yourselves completely to God, stand against the devil and the devil will run from you. See, whenever we surrender our lives to God and we turn our back on the devil, God protects us from his attacks. But we have to say yes to the things of God in our life and slam the door on the things of evil. We gotta slam the door. We gotta cut that off. We don't even, we don't even tiptoe around it anymore. Like we say no and we walk away from it because we know that as believers, we don't continue living in sin. Number four, number four, we know as believers in Jesus, we can be confident in the fact that, that we are under God's authority not the devil's. In verse 19 of our passage, John says, we know that we belong to God, but the evil one controls the world. And as I was reading this, I was, I was thinking about my nephew, um, my nephew Isaac, when, when he's in high school now, but when he was younger, um, when Sarah and I first got together, um, he went through a, a phase where anytime you told him something that he didn't want to hear, he would say, you're not the boss of me. That's what he would say. We would say, Isaac, you can't have that. He would say, you're not the boss of me. We'd say, Isaac, don't touch that. And he'd say, you're not the boss of me. And I remember one time he was doing something and I said, Isaac, don't do that. And he looked at me and he said, you are not the boss of me. My mommy is the boss of me. And she told me I could do it. Punk. (laughs) I hope you watch this or listen to it later. But you know what? I, I think that we need to start adopting that kind of attitude when it comes to the things of this world. That, that when the enemy tries to convince us that we don't have eternal life, we say, you're not the boss of me. That, that when he tries to condemn us with memories of our past failures, we look at him and we say, nope, you're not the boss of me. 
When, when he claims that our lives are insignificant, that will never amount to anything, that, 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 that the purpose that God has for us is, is worthless, we need to look at him and say, you're not the boss of me. God is the boss of me. And he told me that I'm forgiven. He told me that I'm chosen. God is the boss of me and he told me that I was called. God is the boss of me and he says that I'm blessed and highly favored. God is the boss of me and he told me that I was anointed for a special purpose. God is the boss of me and he told me that I have it. He told me that I could do it. That's what he's called me to. You are not the boss of me. We don't answer to the devil. We don't kneel to his desires for our lives. For those of us that have placed our trust in Jesus, we are under the authority of a higher power. And he is not the boss of us anymore. Jesus Christ is the boss of me. And I will live and behave in accordance to the things that his word says I have and can do. That's how we're going to choose to live as believers in Jesus. We answer to his, to God's authority, not to the devil's. Number five, as believers in Jesus, we can be confident in the fact we can know that through Jesus, we can know the one true God. Verse 20 of our passage, John writes, we also know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we can know the true one. And our lives are in the true one and in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and the eternal life. Now, we've, we've talked about this before. We become like who we spend the most time with. Studies have shown like the, the, typically the, the five people that we spend the most time with in our lives, that we begin to, to become like them. We, we resemble them. We start to use the same vernacular and have the same attitude and outlook and, and mannerisms and behavior that we become like those that we spend the most time with. And I was, I was reading earlier in Exodus 34 that uh, Moses was up on Mount Sinai and he was receiving the, the 10 commandments for, from God for the people of Israel. And the Bible says that when he came back off the mountain, the people looked at him and they were afraid because his face was glowing. And he had to put a veil over his face to hide the fact that, that, there was, that, that he was radiating because he had been in the presence of God. And what that communicates to me, and I think ultimately is what John is, is writing about is, is simply this, that, that it should be obvious to others that we have been in communion with the Father. That people should know that when we claim to be believers, that we should like stick out like sore thumbs. Like they should be able to see us as shining lights in the dark places of the world. They should, they should be able to look at our lives and know that person's been with the Father. That person's been reading their Bible. That person's been praying. That person's been to church. That person has spent some time with the Father. And for those of us that have placed our trust in Jesus, we can have that kind of relationship with the Father because Jesus gives us access to him. In John 14, uh, uh, verse 7, Jesus says to his followers, he says, if you had known me, 
you would have known my father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. In other words, if you've seen me, you've seen the father because we are one and the same. And so you and I, we have, wrap your head around this if you can. We have direct access to the God of the universe through Jesus Christ, the one who who hung the stars in the sky, the one who spun the earth like a basketball on its axis on his finger and he placed it in the heavens. We have access to that God through Jesus Christ. And it's time that we start living like we do have that access. And people should know, they should see in us that we are becoming like him, that we have been in his presence. Because as we spend time with him, we'll become more like him. And there should be a clear distinction. Others should know that person's a believer. There's something different about them, something different about them. They, they live their life differently because here's the deal. Our relationship with Jesus is not based on information. It's based on transformation. It's not just about the things we know in our head. It's how that penetrates our hearts and then changes the way that we live and behave and act. Our lives should look different. We should stick out in the world. And if we don't, that's probably a bit of an indicator that there's something not right in our relationship with God. We should be a little bit different. We should be a little bit off compared with the rest of the world and the way that they live. So my question for you today is which of these areas do you need to be more confident in? Which of these areas do do you need to, to step up and begin to walk in that confidence, walk in that knowledge? Which of these areas do you maybe know in your head but it hasn't penetrated your heart today. For some of you, maybe it's that first one. Maybe maybe you need to step into a relationship with Jesus and and truly like once and for all, like accept the gift of eternal life and then then believe that you have it. See, the enemy wants you to think that, that you don't have that gift of eternal life, that even if you've prayed a prayer, even if you've told Jesus that you believed in him, even if, if, if in, your, in your spirit you've surrendered your life to him, the enemy's gonna want to, to cause you to second guess and, and to doubt. You need to know that if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you have eternal life. Start living that way. Start living that way. And if, if, if you want to, to receive that eternal life today? You wanna be sure that you're sure? Maybe you've never received it. You've never accepted it before. All you have to do is this. Just admit that you're a sinner, believe on Jesus, and then, and then choose to surrender your life to him. It's really that simple. You can just cry out right there, right where you're sitting. God, I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus. I choose to make him the Lord of my life. It is that easy. You can have that relationship. You can accept that eternal life today. Maybe, maybe somebody needs to do that or maybe somebody needs to be reassured that the prayer that they prayed, that, that faith, that trust they put in Jesus long ago, that it gives them access to that eternal life and start living it. Some of us here, we, we, need, to pray, we need to pray bigger, bolder prayers full of faith and belief. We need to pray big prayers and start believing God for big things. 
And as we pray those things that are in line with his will, like, like we, just, we just know, we walk away from that prayer, we, we know that we've got it. We may not see it yet, but we know that it's coming. We know that it's on its way because God's word says so. God's word says so. Somebody here, maybe you need to say no to the sin in your life. Maybe you've been a believer for some time, but there's still that sin, that, that, that thing that brings you down, that, that, that crutch, that, that thing that you go back to over and over and over. Today is the day that somebody here needs to draw a line in the sand and say, no more. No more. From this day forward, I'm choosing to live a different way. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to walk in the knowledge of the fact that, that believers in Jesus, they, they no longer live their lives in accordance with sin. I'm shutting the door on that part of my life. And, and from this day forward, I'm choosing to live differently. It ends here today. Somebody here today, maybe you need to realize that you've been chosen. You need to embrace your calling. You need to begin to walk in your anointing, the thing that God has placed you on this earth for. Maybe it's fear or doubt or there's, there's something that's, that stood in the way of you stepping out into that. And, and God's wanting to free you this morning and you need to step into that and walk into that and know that he's called you to do something specific that's just for you. He's not tapping the person on the shoulder that's next to you. He's called you to do something and you've run in the opposite direction for years and it's time for you to begin to walk in that calling and accept that anointing that God's placed on your life. Maybe you're here today and you've been a believer for a long time, but you kind of just blend in in the shadows. Nobody really knows you haven't been really demonstrative or upfront with your faith. For you, maybe you just need to spend some time with the Father so that you'll begin to reflect him, that, that when you get out into the dark places of the world, that they would see the glow that is on you because you have been in communion with the Father. Maybe you're here today and you need to prioritize church attendance. Say like, I'm, gonna, I'm making it a commitment. I'm going to be there every single week. I'm going to come and I'm going to, I'm going to sit. I'm going to serve. I'm, I'm going to be a part of that church. I'm going to go all in because, because I want, I want to reflect God in my life. You're going to commit to reading your Bible. You're going to, you're going to commit to digging into the scriptures, to learning more about him and who he is and, and how you can apply those things to your life. You're going to spend time in prayer, talking with him and listening to him and the things that he's wanting to do in you so that you can reflect him to the world around you, whatever it is, any one of those five, maybe it's, maybe it's more than one, whatever that is, I, I believe the Holy Spirit's speaking to some people's hearts right now. And so I just want us all over this house to know that it's not good enough for us to just say that we're believers in Jesus. We've got to prove it. 